morning, we're going to be in uh, Daniel chapter 3. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for those joining us online. We're just uh, excited to continue our study on the book of Daniel, and uh, just let me uh, kind of bring you up to speed real briefly. Last week, we talked in chapter 2 about, it took us two weeks to get through chapter 2, but Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has this troubling dream. And in this dream, he doesn't know what this means. And so he demands of his wise men, he demands of all of uh, his magicians, astrologers to, to declare or to give him what the dream was and also what the dream means. Well, they couldn't do it because they didn't have that power to be able to tell someone what they dreamed and what it meant. But Daniel responds with wisdom, with prudence. He talks to the king. And then he goes to God in prayer with Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his friends. And God gives Daniel the dream and what it means. And so we talked about that last week, about the, 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 um, the statue and the gold head. That was Nebuchadnezzar. That was the kingdom of gold. That was Babylon. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as your kingdom is, it's going to come to an end. And he said, God's going to give your kingdom to the Medes and Persians. They're inferior to you in strength, but God's going to let them win. And the next kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire, we're going to look at that in chapter 6 of Daniel. They're going to come, they're going to invade what Nebuchadnezzar thought was the, um, was the impenetrable city. or the, 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 the wall around them was so powerful, but yet God's going to give them into the hands of the Medes and Persians. And then that kingdom will be powerful, but that also will come to an end. And then the Greeks under Alexander the Great, they're going to be a mighty, mighty army, the kingdom of bronze, and they are going to conquer. And they're, uh, Alexander the Great's going to just, it still to this day is known for just his tactics and might in battle. And as powerful as that kingdom is, that will also end. And then the next one is going to be even more powerful, the, 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 the iron legs, it's going to be the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is going to last longer than any of them. It's going to be 500 years. But the Roman Empire also will come to an end. They're going to destroy themselves. They're going to expand so far that they won't even be able to govern their, their, their own kingdom. But then Daniel talks about the, the next kingdom that we're, we're unsure. We think, it's a, we think it's going to be at the end of time where there'll be some kind of one world order we we think some of it we speculate and but but the important thing is is Daniel talks about this stone that's going to come and it's going to crush this statue it's going to obliterate all these other kingdoms and that is the kingdom of God all these other kingdoms they have their day they have their time but they eventually will end except for the kingdom of God it is the eternal kingdom Daniel says it's a stone not made out of, not cut out with human hands. And it speaks to the eternality of the kingdom of God, that, that the kingdom of God will last and will rule forever. So now we find ourselves, though Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel. Daniel's like, hey, remember my crew, my guys, promote them. And so Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're promoted. And now King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not entirely sure how much time has elapsed from chapter 2 to chapter 3. There's some speculation that this could, have, could be like 5 to 10 years of time. 
has elapsed, but nevertheless, Nebuchadnezzar, almost in defiance of thinking that his kingdom could possibly end, he builds this huge statue of himself and commands and demands that everybody worship it. I mean, what arrogance, right? He builds a statue of himself and says, if you don't bow down to it, I'm going to kill you. That's exactly what he does. So in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. It says its height was three score cubits and the breadth there of six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes and governors, all the captains and judges and treasurers, counselors, sheriffs. So he's bringing everybody of status, everybody of importance. He's bringing them for this dedication of the statue. And the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers, the counselors, all the rulers, basically, they're coming together. And then the, the herald cries aloud in verse 4 and says, O people, nations and languages. He says that at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music. Some of these instruments we're not entirely sure even what they are. Some of them actually have um, some Greek names. And sometimes people have tried to tried to point that out. Oh, Daniel was written later because, you know, at this time they wouldn't have spoke Greek. But yet there's actually evidence that there were uh, that there were Greeks there in Babylon at this time. So it wouldn't be uncommon. It wouldn't be out of the ordinary, out of the realm of possibility that they would have had Greek-speaking people and they would have some of these instruments that would have been available to them. But the important thing is, then because you're saying when you hear the music, you bow down and you worship this statue. And he says, whoever doesn't fall down, in verse 6, he says, I'm going to throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. And, and that's also something just historically that we know about Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar in particular, like even from sources outside of the Bible, that they were, he was kind of known for that. Throwing people into, into a, a furnace. Anyone that went against him, anyone that, that dared to go contrary to him or that would not fear him. So therefore, verse 7, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, all kinds of musics, all kinds of music, all the people and nations and languages, they fell down, they worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So the king makes this decree, bow down. Bow down to this. See, God is ruler over all. Jesus is king. Jesus is, we, see, we as believers were to worship one God, the one true God, Jehovah God. But know this, what God creates, Satan always counterfeits. And Satan has this counterfeit king, this counterfeit God. This king thinks, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's God, is acting like it. And we see that he's now going to pressure people to bow down to that. And as believers, we worship God, the one true God. But there's always going to be that pressure to bow down to someone or something else that's a counterfeit God. This is God. Listen to this. This system, this world system, this is 
what is the final authority. But as believers, we recognize, no, that God is our king. Now, does that mean that we, that we don't submit to earthly authorities? Of course not. We see that as addressed in, in Scripture. A couple different places where we're to give honor and reverence and respect and follow the laws of, of the land and of the government because God has placed them in authority. Except for at times like this. When someone, a counterfeit God, a counterfeit king, is, is forcing you to do something that we see clearly in Scripture we're not supposed to do. It is at that time we recognize this, that we have one king, and that is Jesus. We serve one God. And by the way, this isn't something that is, that is foreign. Like when you look at, not just in Scripture, but like throughout church history, when early Christians were persecuted by the Roman Empire, um, it wasn't necessarily the, the sense that because they were worshiping God, um, it was more of the fact that Christians said, Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, therefore Caesar is not. And so many Christians suffered greatly for that. In fact, in, in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about, Paul uses this language. And at the time Paul writes Philippians, this is under Nero, is, is more than likely who the Roman emperor is at that time. And, and at that time, Nero would, somewhat similar to this, but before any type of event, anytime there was a big gathering of people, whether it was for, um, whether it was a sporting event whether it was a political gathering, whenever there's a big group of people, they would bow in reverence to Nero. And Paul says this in Philippians. He said that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's dangerous, dangerous language that Paul uses. Because what he's saying in a, in a sense is this. That there is a name above every name, even Nero. And there's, there's a day coming that every knee, even Nero, is going to bow to that name of Jesus. That Jesus is Lord over all. And Christians that acknowledge that. Christians that said that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Were persecuted for that. Well, here we see Satan always has counterfeits. And he wants people and demands people and bullies people and pressures people to bow down. And so once again, as Christians, do we go out looking for fights? No. Do we go out and, 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 and try to see what laws we can disobey? No, of course not. We should be good law-abiding citizens. However, we recognize this, that there is a ruler above every human ruler, that there is an authority above every other authority, and that is God. And may we have that resolve to stand and not cave in to the pressure to bow down and worship any other person or any other thing. Because Jesus is Lord. And he, God in his word, that should trump anything else. No matter how popular or unpopular something might be. That we have a higher authority than anyone. And so what we're going to see is this. That there were three Jews. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the, the name, what their names were changed to. They recognize that. 
And they said, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down to this. Now, they're going to refuse to bow. The question is this, though. Where's Daniel? I mean, we know Daniel wouldn't bow down because Daniel stood in chapter 1. Daniel stood in chapter 2. In chapter 6, there's going to be a new era, a new kingdom. Darius is going to rule the king over the Medes and Persians, and, and he's going to make a decree. He's going to get tricked into making it, but he's going to make a decree. Nobody can pray to any other gods. Well, what is Daniel going to do? He's going to pray just as he always does. And he's going to be thrown into a den of lions, which, by the way, that's another historic fact that the Persians actually love to have and keep lions. And Daniel's going to throw in a lion. He's like, no, I'm not going not gonna. to. So we know Daniel's not going to cave here. We don't know where Daniel is. We don't know. There's speculation, like maybe he wasn't, didn't have to be there. Because of his position, it kind of seemed, though, that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to corral anybody of importance, though. Um, it could be that Nebuchadnezzar knew Daniel wouldn't bow, and so he made an exception for Daniel not to even be there. Again, it's speculation. We don't know, but we do know this, that a test of leadership is, what will your followers do when you're not there? Daniel had great influence on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, they stood with Daniel as well. It wasn't like this was their first rodeo, but Daniel influenced them. And here, even though Daniel's not around, at least it seems like Daniel's not around, they're going to stand. They're not going to cave in. They're not going to give in. Even when they had so much to lose. Because in chapter 1, listen, chapter 1, they're negotiating Right? Daniel's using wisdom and they, they find this loophole of, hey, let's do this test where we don't have to eat of this meat that we know God doesn't want us to eat of. And, uh, and, but, but here it's like they're, they've got a lot more to lose. Remember at the end of chapter 2? They're promoted. These guys have something now. They have, they have means. They have substance. They have authority. There is no doubt at this point they're living comfortably. They're ruling over provinces. These guys have a lot to lose. But because they serve and worship the one true God, they're willing to lose it all for God. May we have that resolve. It's easy to talk about having that, but when the, as we're going to see, when the heat literally gets turned up, they're still going to stand. May we have that resolve, that we're going to stand. We're not looking to pick a fight. We're looking to, to live peaceably. But really, when push comes to shove, here's the thing. As loving and as gracious as you and I will try to be, there will come a day. There will come a time. There will come an instance where as gracious as you're trying to be, you're going to be forced to make a choice. And at that time, May we have this resolve that we're going to stand. Amen. That's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego do. So wherefore, at the certain time, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and they accused the Jews. So there's people probably jealous over them, much like we're going to see in Daniel 6, that, that, that there were those that were jealous over Daniel. So they're trying to get Daniel killed. Well, here, they're probably jealous about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These Jews, these foreigners, they have this authority. The king's promoted them. 
So now they see here's an opportunity to get rid of them. So they, they see that they're not bowing down. So they come to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and said, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, you made a decree that every man shall hear the sound. They list all the music and they say, and that at the sound of that music, they're going to fall down and worship the image. And king, you said, you said, it's like a little kid like tattling here. <laughs> like you said, he's like, whoever doesn't fall down and worship, they're going to be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Specifically, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they have not regarded thee, king. They're not serving your gods, and they're not worshiping the golden image that you have set up. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. So the king is angry when he hears that someone would dare defy his order. That someone would, would be so bold as to not bow before him and before his statue. So he has these men brought before him. Verse number 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and he said unto them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if ye be ready at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. But he says, but if you worship not, you're going to be cast that same hour into the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? So the king is just so defiant against God. He is so arrogant. He is so angry when he finds out there's people that aren't bowing down to him. Now, it seems like, this might be a little speculation, but it seems like he doesn't really want to throw him into the fire. As, as angry as he is, he gives him another chance. I just get the idea with Nebuchadnezzar, like we're going to see just, just how, how crazy this guy is. Like he has no regard for even his own, his own soldiers and his own men. But here he's given them an opportunity. Like no doubt he knows them, right? He promoted them. It's almost like, hey, guys, I'm giving you another chance. I don't think you understand what's at stake. And I love their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they're saying, you know what? We don't really even have to think about this. We've already decided. We've already decided. And by, by the way, you know when we need to make decisions? Before the heat gets turned up. We need to already make decisions that we're going to serve God and God alone. That God's word is true. That we're going to honor God's word above every other word. That God's decree is above every other decree. We need to make that decision and have that resolve before we're in that situation where we have to decide. Amen. That's what they did. They said, we're not even careful to answer you in this matter. We don't even have to think about this one, King. It says, verse 17, it says, King, you, you said, who is the God that will deliver us? Well, if it be so, our God that we serve, he's able to deliver us. Now that you asked what God will our God, he's able to deliver us. 
but he might not. But we're still not going to bow. It says, if so, our God, whom you serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And I love this. And this makes him even more angry. Now listen, I'm not saying that there wasn't some, some fear. They're human, right? Like, don't pretend like, you know, they didn't have any, like, emotion, any human emotion or fear. I'm sure they did. But I just get the idea here, like, that they were, like, I wish I was, I don't wish I was there, but, like, I kind of wish we could look back and see this because I just, I get the idea. They're just, like, really cool and calm. So, like, we've already made up our mind. We're not going to bow. And God is powerful enough to deliver us, but even if not, we're still not going to bow. I love this, this calmness, this resolve. And I love their approach. Their confidence was in God's ability. Their faith was in God's ability. It wasn't tied to them just getting the results they wanted. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that our faith in God should be in God's ability to change this situation, to change this person, to intervene, but God may not, and we're still going to worship him. You know, faith is saying, God, I know you can heal this cancer, but if not, I'm still going to worship you. God, I know you can change this broken relationship, but if not, I'm still going to worship you. God, you may not do this, what I want you to do, what I'm asking you to do, what I know you can do, but I'm still going to worship you. And this is the resolve they had. This is the faith they had in God. That true faith isn't, that true faith shouldn't be just centered around, around give me the results that I want, God, or centered around, well, I'm going to try God and, oh, it didn't work. True faith is knowing God is able. And that he can, but God may not choose to. That God may not take us out of the fire, but we can rest assured he'll go with us through the fire. And that's what's going to happen here. So the king is angry. I, I think just their calmness just angered him. The fact that they were so cool and calm. They feared the one true God, so they didn't fear this king. Now, maybe they had some human emotion of fear, but ultimately what trumped that was their faith in God. Was their faith in God. I think about even stories we read from church history. There was one particular one that just stuck out to me about, it was a group of, of Scottish pastors that were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And as they were, they were walking up the steps to actually be executed, they were being taunted by the guards. They were being taunted by their executioners saying, aren't you fearful? Aren't you afraid? And they were just taunting them. And one of the responses from one of the pastors that he said, and this is, is actually recorded in history, and, and, and maybe it didn't happen exactly like this, but he responded something to the effect of, I have more fear in my heart when I walk up the steps to deliver my sermon to my people on Sunday mornings than I do walking up these steps to be executed. In other words, what they were saying was, I fear God more than any other person. We fear God, like not in a fearful way of what God will do to us, but in a reverence and respect. We fear God so much 
that we're not afraid of what you're going to do to us. Man, God, give us that resolve. Give us that confidence in God. That was their response. So the king's super angry at this. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and the form of his visage, the form of his face changed. Like, it's, in, in other words, it's like you could just see the anger on his face. Have you ever seen someone that angry? Have you ever been that angry? Like, where it just, you can't hide it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's furious at this response because he thinks he's God. And he's angry at them for not bowing. He's angry at the fact that they're not afraid of him. That they're not fearful of him. So he says, therefore spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more. In other words, he's saying, turn up the heat. I mean, this guy's crazy. It's already hot enough. It's going to kill him immediately. But he says, turn it up even more. And this is, a, I think, a picture of what happens when you're faced with pressure to bow. The heat gets turned up. The pressure gets turned up. Give in. Give in or else. Give in or else. And the heat kind And listen, if you stand for Christ, if you stand for righteousness, do it in a humble, loving way, a gracious way, but firmly stand. And know this, the heat's going to get turned up. The heat's going to get turned up. If you follow Christ, if you honor his word above anything else, the heat's going to get turned up. You're, it, look, it's not going to be taking the path of least resistance. We talked about this a little bit yesterday in our men's meeting uh, yesterday morning. We talked about how that like just battling complacency in our life and how that, that if, if you are going to truly follow Christ, if you are truly going to be a dedicated disciple of Christ, you're not going to take the path. It's not taking the path of least resistance. There's going to be times it's going to be difficult. The heat's going to get turned up. The pressure's going to get put on. And that's what happens here. The heat gets turned up. And he says he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind them and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their, their hats, their garments. And just this was just a because it was in such haste. He's like, throw them in, tie them up, throw them in. Verse 22, therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar has no regard for anyone, even his own men. His best guy, the fire is so hot, it kills these men who just get close enough to throw them in. That's how hot this fire, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't care. They throw them in. Then these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he was astonished. He was astonished. He rose up in haste and he said, didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the, the king, true, O king, yes, king, we put three in. But he answered, he says, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the fourth is like the form of the son of God. So he sees there's four in there now. And this fourth one, something about this image, the, maybe the radiance or just the glory of this image. 
He says, it's like the son of God. And he said, we cast three in, but now I see four. So Nebuchadnezzar comes close, close to the burning fiery furnace. And he said, Jadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come forth. And they came hither and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. Here's what happened. That God didn't pull them out. He went with them through the fire. He was with them. This is called a Christophany. This is an appearance of Christ before the incarnation, before Jesus comes and enters his own creation. This is an appearance, the angel of the Lord, that Christ came and went with them through this fire. He miraculously delivers them. In fact, they're not even going to, nothing of them is burned. They don't even smell like smoke. This is amazing. This is a miracle. He says, the princes, the governors, the captains, the kings, the counselors, they gathered together. They saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. The fire didn't have power over them, nor was there a hair of their heads singed. Neither were their coats changed. He said, the, the, the smell of fire didn't even pass on. They didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't smell like fire. Why? Because God intervened. Because God went with them through this fire. He delivered them. Now they already said if God doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow. But God delivered them through this fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. They have changed their king's word, the, the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. He, Nebuchadnezzar is all about making these decrees and these commands, isn't he? That I make this decree that every people, nation, and language which shall speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be cut in pieces. Their houses are going to be made a dunghill. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to kill them and destroy everything they have if they speak against your God. Like, he just still doesn't get it. Like, right? Like, he just doesn't get it. This guy's a bully. This guy's like, in here, it's even, in a sense, he's like giving praise to the one true God, but he's going about it completely wrong. And he says that, that, that uh, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort, then the king, once again, Promote Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What an amazing, amazing account here. That Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, is going to give praise and give glory to God. Now, once again, it doesn't seem genuine. Just like in chapter 2, it, 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 it maybe like the appearance seemed like, oh, he's saying that Daniel's God is the one true God. Here he's saying, your God, there's no one like him. Now, we are going to see in chapter number four next week, God is going to bring him down in true humility. God is going to bring him to that place where he, where he truly is humbled. But here it seems like even though he's professing something with his mouth, he's still not, he's still not completely changed. So let's conclude today. Let's look at some applications from this amazing account in Daniel. Number one, we see this. Satan's counterfeit 
is always going to pressure you to bow down and worship. If, if, if you recognize Jesus is Lord, that, that you only bow to one king, and that's King Jesus, there's always going to be pressure to bow down to something or someone else that tries to put themselves in the place of God. Now, while we honor and respect the position that people have, we're not going to bow down and worship and serve anyone but the one true God. But there will be the pressure, and the heat will get turned up. Satan always has his counterfeit. Secondly, we need to decide before the test comes that we're not going to bow down. Decide before that we're not going to bow to any other God. You need to make that decision now. You need to have that resolve now. And, and a lot of times we'll talk to um, like teens about peer pressure and how it's important. You make the decision now what you will and won't do. You make the decision right now that you're not going to cave into this. But you know what? Peer pressure is just as real when it comes to adults. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm at the age, I don't care what anybody thinks. But I promise you, I promise you, there's still going to be pressure to get the, the cave, to give in. God's word says this, but you know what? Culture says this. God's word defines this this way, but you know what? Our culture, they're putting a lot of heat and a lot of pressure. Well, let's redefine something. God says this, but... We feel this. We think this. We've, we've, gone, we've come past. Look, there's going to be constant pressure. But we need to decide now. We need to decide before the test comes. Before the heat gets turned up. That we're going to follow God and we're going to honor his word. And that, won't be, that, won't, that doesn't mean that you're going to take the path of least resistance. It's going to be difficult. It will be difficult. Thirdly, faith is trusting in God's ability. Not just the results we want. They said, hey, we trust God can do it. But even if he doesn't do what we think he should do, we're still not going to bow down. God, give us that faith. God, give us that resolve. That our faith is in God's ability, not just in the results we want. Next, God doesn't always take us out, but he will take us through. And, and right now, like, look, I know some of you guys are going through through a fiery furnace, not a literal fire, but you're spiritually, emotionally, maybe everything that's bombarding you right now, you feel like that heat's getting turned up. And, and maybe it's, maybe it's like in this case specifically, like you feel like you're being persecuted. You feel like you're being X'd out. You feel like you're, you're not included and people talk about you and mock you and make fun of you. Because they know you're a believer. Because they know how you have convictions in your life. And maybe you feel like, man, that's just constantly being heated up. And maybe it's not even in that sense. It's just, you're going through some really difficult things. Man, it just seemed like all week, really the last two weeks, my conversations constantly are with people going through really difficult times. Now, I embrace that. I love, not that, not that people are going through difficult times, but I love being able to pray with people and help people and try to guide them, not to any advice I have, but to God and his word. I, I love that. I embrace that. I'm not saying that as a complaint, but I, I know this, that many of you, you're overwhelmed right now. 
you're overwhelmed right now with what you're going through. And you know what? I don't know why God's allowing you to go through it. But I know this, that many times God doesn't take us out of the fire, but he displays and shows his faithfulness through the fire. And ultimately, he's going to be glorified. And ultimately, he's got a purpose for you through that. God might not take you out, but he will take you through. Next, we see this. God's glorified when we stand for him. God's glorified when we stand for him. And sometimes it means going through that fire for God to get the glory that he wants. Sometimes it's going through that fire, going through that valley, going through that difficult time, going through the flood, going through those times where God is going to be the most glorified. It sure seems like that's what happens here. Because Nebuchadnezzar is going to make this, this decree. Again, it doesn't seem like it's genuine, but ultimately God's being praised and glorified from the most powerful man in the world. And he wouldn't have been glorified in that way if they didn't go through that fire. Same thing with Daniel in a couple chapters later with, with Darius, the king. He is going to, he's going to, after Daniel is, is miraculously saved from the lion's den, he's going to make this decree that Daniel's God is the one true living God. But here's the thing, we want those results without going through that fire. We want God to be glorified and we want it to make sense and we want these great things to happen. And look, nothing wrong with praying for God to take you out. But may we have the resolve that, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. God, I'm still going to praise you even if you don't. Because God may have you going through that right now. Because he's going to be more glorified you going through it. Than by taking you out of it. That was their resolve. That was their faith. Next we see this promotion comes from God. What happens? Verse 30. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The king did, but ultimately it was God that promoted them. And I'm not going to you know, belabor this point because we already talked about it. But know this. That promotion comes from God. Do your best. You know, try, try, to, try to be everything God wants you to be and, and, and follow him. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get elevated and promoted and applauded. And other times you're not. Other times you're going to face heat and pressure. And then God's going to allow you to be elevated. But recognize this. It comes from God. And then lastly, you can make a profession with your mouth like Nebuchadnezzar but not have a heart that truly believes. Like he's acknowledging God. He's even saying some, he's even impressed. He's amazed. But he doesn't truly believe. Now, God's going to soften his heart. We're going to read about that in chapter four next week. We're going to see how God can humble anyone. But I wonder today, do you truly know and worship the Lord God? Do you, do you know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior? Maybe you've made a profession with your mouth. Maybe you're even impressed with him and you've kind of changed some things in your life and, and have done some, added some religious things, but that doesn't save you. Do you genuinely have a heart that believes, that's trusted in Christ? Now, here's the thing, like, I'm not the judge of that. I don't know your heart. I don't know who truly is a believer. Now, yeah, we, we see fruit in people's life that gives evidence of that. But the point is, 
can't see your heart. And maybe you like Nebuchadnezzar. Don't take that as an insult, but maybe you like him in the sense of, you're like him in the sense of, You've been impressed. You've been even in awe of some of the things you've seen God do. Maybe you've even with your mouth made a profession, but you don't truly know Christ. You don't truly believe. And it is possible to have a profession of faith without a genuine possession of Christ as your Savior. 